Well, good morning, everybody. I pray that you brought your Bible. I'd like to invite you to open them to the book of Exodus 21. Now, I think it's interesting because there's so much in God's Word that goes beyond just what you read. You know, the Hebrew people say that when Messiah comes, even the space between the letters will mean something. Well, when we really look at this, we remember studying last week, chapter 20, the week before, the Ten Commandments, God's law. Now, remember, it says it was a test. It was never meant to justify a man. And yet we find people today that believe that they are justified by keeping the Ten Commandments. A lawyer came to Jesus testing him, saying, Good master, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And then he said something else. He said, and the second is likened unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. For upon these two hang all the law and the prophets. I think that's really important because those are Jesus's commandments. Jesus's commandments are different than the Old Testament 10 commandments. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Paul, writing to a group of churches scattered throughout Asia called Galatia, he said, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? You begun in the spirit? Are you going to be made perfect in the flesh? What does he mean by that? You begun in the spirit of God, loving God as a relationship of a child to a father, loving your neighbor as yourself. Why are you trying to go back under the test of the law to see if you really do love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. If you really do love your fellow man. You see, that was the test. The commandment of Jesus was really what makes us what we are in Christ. Loving God, loving your fellow man. The test, how do I know if I'm doing that? I can look at the Ten Commandments because there in Exodus 20, it said, this is only a test. Remember that when it was on the radio years ago when you thought you were going to get nuked by Russia? And you'd be listening to your favorite tune on the radio and all of a sudden you'd hear, ooh, this has been a test of the emergency broadcast system. Had this been a real test, you would have been instructed to crawl under your table, cover your arms, eyes, and ears, and get ready for the big blast. I don't know if you remember that or not. And many of you that went to school in the 50s and 60s, you remember duck and cover. Remember that? Because we didn't know what was coming at us. Well, maybe those days aren't so far away again because this past week, China has revealed that they have a supersonic missile as well as Russia. And the United States government said, we don't even know how to defend ourselves against this. Oh, thank you. You make me feel so secure. You see, we live in a very, very troubled world. And so therefore, take every moment we can to be about our Father's business. What is that? Love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Ten Commandments are the test. It's what the Bible says. It's not meant to justify man. It's the test to see, are you really loving God? Are you really loving your fellow man? Now, today we're going to get in. We talked about God's righteous rules, law, if you will. Now we're going to talk about civil law, the way we treat each other and all these things. Now, somebody might say, but Mike, we're a New Testament church. Why do you even waste your time in the Old Testament? I've actually had people say that. Here is why. Because someday soon, some, sometime north of seven years, Jesus will set up his thousand-year reign here on this earth. Do you believe that when Jesus sets up his reign on this earth, it's going to be helter-skelter, do whatever you want to do, man. Hey, it's groovy time. No, there's going to be rules, regulations, laws, just like it was. People have often said, why do I even need to read the Bible at all? I think that's a fair question. 
Because the Bible is how God will judge the world someday and how God will put his governance in during the millennial reign of Christ. In other words, the Bible says you are going to be executors of his righteous laws. Hey, everybody, we're God's cops in the days to come. Now, I know that might sound a little scary to you, but the Bible says we will rule and reign with him. What does somebody ruling and reigning do? They execute God's righteous laws on an unrighteous world. Now, we have to remember something. Even though man will live during this thousand-year reign of Christ, governing over this world in a perfect environment, perfect government, perfect food, perfect everything, there's still one major flaw, and what is that? Man is unregenerated. Yes, the devil will be locked up for almost a thousand years, but I have found that man causes most of his own problems. Have you ever noticed that in your own life? Well, here's the problem with that. Because we do that, this is why Jesus said to a religious, high-ranking religious leader of the day, a guy named Nicodemus, you must be born again. There is something wrong with the nature of man that was inherited from Adam and Eve throughout all the centuries. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word today, we ask you that your Holy Spirit would now speak to us and open our eyes, our understandings, to see life like you do, not the way we do. And so, God, as we read these words today, may your Holy Spirit cause us to meditate upon these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 20 deals with God's divine law. Chapter 21 deals with God's divine ordinances. Now, there's a difference. Because one deals with our relationship with our fellow man. The other deals with our relationship with God. The first four with God. The last six with our fellow man. Chapter 21, though, deals with governmental uh, laws, okay? Now, people might, again, say, why do we read these things? There will be laws during the millennial reign of Jesus Christ in the days to come. When you realize that you, me, we are all going to be executors of his judgments on this earth, this is why I believe it's important to know that in the days to come, it isn't going to be, well, Jesus is reigning from Jerusalem, do your own thing. It's that we will be executors. We will be the cops. We will be the magistrates. We will be the judges in this world. Now, as we look at this, verse 1 of chapter 21 of Exodus, now these are the judgments or the ordinances which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh year, he shall go out free and pay nothing. Ah, see, the Bible is the Bible. This is where slavery in the world came from. Wrong. This is where freedom came from. Now, when we stop to think about it a minute, not everybody embellishes debt like we in America do. I think most of us are aware we're somewhere between 30 and 40 billion, a trillion dollars in debt, probably right around 33 trillion right now, and they want to add another. Now you start, you start and, and debt, these numbers just become funny money. They just don't mean anything to us. But when you stop to think, America is more in debt than any other country in the history of the world. Debt never serves the person well. Now, the reason a person would have a slave, now let's read this again. If you buy a Hebrew servant, whoa, stop right there. Why would you be buying a Hebrew servant? Well, there were several, several reasons why you would sell yourself. Number one, of course, extreme poverty. 
You were so poor, there was nowhere else. You'd go down, auction yourself off. Maybe this master would treat me better than the way I've lived my life. I'll go to work for him. He'll feed me, etc. You'd become a slave. So for six years, you would serve him. Another way was if you had a daughter and there was a family and you noticed you had similar values, you could then sell your daughter to this family as a bride for their son. Now, we call it, in today's world, pre-arranged marriages. Now, people say, well, ooh, that would be awful. But I don't know, if you've got little kids, I've got little kids, you can almost begin to see the reason why you would want to have a pre-arranged marriage. Amen? I mean, when you look at the value system and some of the people's idea in homes across America, what they think normal is, I don't want to have anything to do with them. They think kids watching some of the movies, some of the blood and guts, all that stuff, that's, and they think, oh, that's fun. Oh, Johnny just loves to watch it. He just loves to see blood gushing out of people. Well, excuse me, I don't think I want my daughter to be anywhere within a thousand miles of your kid. There's a different value. See, God knew this. And the children of Israel, the Bible says, you are a peculiar people, God said to the Christians, but it was a carryover from the Old Testament, because they honored Yahweh, they honored God's way, and because they honored God's way, they did not have the way of the pagans. And so what you would do then is you would have friends, family, relatives, all these different things, and you would say, hey, you, you two have a, have a couple of kids, and you seem to be nice, I I don't see you out dancing around the satellite dishes, uh, chopping up chickens and howling under a full moon. I think I'd like to know you. And I, I think our kids ought to know your kids. And so, yeah, well, Johnny's a cute little boy. Susie's a cute little girl. Well, down the road, let's get married. And I'll tell you what, we'll sell her to you. And then when they come of age, they can get married. Prearranged marriages. They did that. And they still do that in some places around the world today. Now, he says, that's another way you could end up. Another way is if you had to file chapter 11 or chapter 13 in those days. You got yourself in so much debt, there was no remission of debt. In other words, you couldn't file chapter 11 or chapter 13. The only way you could get rid of your debt was to take yourself, go down in the town square, step up on the auction block, auction yourself off. The money then would then be given to your creditor and for six years, you were to serve the person you sold your life to because of your bad business, bad debt habits. Another way you could become a slave is if you were a thief and you got caught and you had to pay restitution for what you sold, but the thief doesn't have any money. So then he would go up, stand on the auction block and be auctioned off. So there were several ways legitimately to end up in slavery in those days. Now, number one, it was a, ter a deterrent against laziness. It was a deterrent against theft. It was a deterrent against bad business investments. It was a deterrent. The idea is if I really mess up, Uncle Sam's not going to come to my rescue. I've got to auction myself off as a slave. And I'll tell you, people lived a lot more circumspectly then than they do today. So the way that you got out of debt is you put yourself on. Well, what are you putting up for collateral for this new car? Well, I'll put up my tractor in my boat. Okay. Well... If you didn't have a tractor, didn't have a boat, what are you putting up for collateral? I can only put up myself. When you couldn't pay, you were auctioned off. Verse 3, it gives the rules concerning this. Now, real quick, everyone, to, to retrospect or maybe fast forward, there will be rules during the millennial reign of Christ that Jesus Christ will hand down. I personally believe very possibly 
A lot of what you're reading right now may be the rule of law for the, the entire world as Jesus rules and reigns. You got to think about this for a minute. The Bible says God is eternal, he changes not. And there will be rules during the millennial reign of Christ. I don't know if these will be transposed into the future. I have an interesting suspicion that they probably in some way, in some part, will be. So I believe that's why they're relevant. But notice it says in verse 3, if he that sells himself comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. This is in six years. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. So whatever condition you find yourself on the auction block, you return that way after six years. By the way, the six years was so you wouldn't be an enduring slave forever. Uh, This was one of the limitations, God's mercy, that yeah, you did some dumb stuff, you know. You know, you look today, people go to prison. They're They're in a concrete box with bars. They're not contributing anything to society. They're just in a box. Wouldn't it have been better that they could have maybe went out and done something with their life for those six years rather than sitting in a box rotting away? You see, this was God's not only law, but God's judgment system as well, which makes honestly a lot more sense than our judgment system today. Amen. Doesn't make sense. Now notice, if you come in married, you leave married. Now on the other hand, if his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons and daughters, the wife and the children that she by her master and he shall go out by himself. So if the master gave him a wife, hey, you're a pretty good servant. Here, you know, have my daughter, have one of my servants. Your six years is up, you still leave by yourself. If you came in with nothing, you leave with nothing. Your debt was paid, I bought you, that money that I paid for you went to your creditor, now six years is up, start over again. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children I will, know, and I will not go free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Wow. So the guy goes, okay, six years is up. It's time for you to go. He goes, but... You know, you've been good to me. I have a house. I have a family. I got kids. I don't want to go. If you keep treating me the way you've treated me, hey, I'll stay here forever. So they they take him down to the judges. The judges would write it. He would go and stand in the doorway, and they would pull his ear over, and they would take a spike or a nail or a awl and punch a hole in his ears and then they would put a ring in his ear so everybody that would ever see him would know that I'm a slave by choice. Now what is interesting, the Bible tells us concerning Jesus in Psalms 40 verse 6, sacrifice I've not required Offerings I've not required, you have opened my ear. Jesus became our slave in that he died for us in our place and remains so forever by the piercings in his body. Now you start thinking about this for a minute. Paul the apostle says, I am a bond slave of Jesus Christ. I am a slave of by choice. I am not a slave because I was hijacked or I was, I was uh, abducted. I am a slave because I know that this is what I need to do. I'm treated well here and I'm staying right here. 
It's interesting that Paul says, I bear in my body the marks of an apostle. Why does he say that? Because it proved what he was. And when we realize that again, not only did Jesus become our slave, died in our place, but now as love for him, I turn around and say, okay, God, whatever time I've got left on this earth, I am now your slave by choice. And let it be known before all the judges of the land, before all of heaven, this is the decision that I've made. I'm going to serve you forever. That's what being a Christian is, friends. That's where we say, okay, I realize my life is leaving me. It, it is, whether you're 30 or 60 or whatever, you realize your life is leaving you. And if you don't know that, when you get up in the morning and you ache everywhere, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> it didn't hurt yesterday. You know, the old thing, it hurts when I do this. Well, then don't do that. Well, the thing is, it hurts everywhere. I remember the story I heard one time about the guy that goes to the doctor. He goes in and he points to the doctor and he says, I got a spot this big on my leg. Six by about four inches on my leg. He goes, I want you to make the rest of me feel like that because that's the only place that doesn't hurt. Well, again, you don't have to be old to experience pain. You read about some of these football players and hockey players and these extreme sports and some of the things you see on TV where they, they treat their body like a rag doll. And as they start getting a little older, the arthritis begins to set into those joints and those areas where they were injured. And so at 35 years old, that person could be as crippled up as somebody 80. You don't have to be old to realize we need to be bonded to something. And I pray today you understand that when we cry, Abba, Father, we cry, Daddy, I am a child of God by choice, but I'm sealed in front of the judges. And that's what you are today, too, if you're a Christian. Isn't that good to know that you belong? Now, here's something else. In the words of Bob Dylan, back in the early 80s, he came out with an album when he got saved at Kenneth Gullican's church, up in North Hollywood. And I don't know where he's at today with the Lord, but I know at one time he was pretty on fire. I know a lot of Christians did a lot of goofy things to him because he was saved a week. And Bob Dylan preaches a sermon. You know, Bob Dylan was just, you know, just accepted the Lord. But he wrote a song called Gonna Serve Somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're gonna serve somebody. Well, it's true. Everybody serves somebody. People say, well, I'm my own man. No, you're really not. It's like saying, I own my property. I went down and I paid it off. Let me tell you something. You don't pay your taxes on that house, that piece of property. I guarantee you won't own it very long. Everybody serves somebody. I think we oftentimes have to consider who we serve. Again, I'm treated well here. The servant said, I want to stay here. So by choice, he became a bondservant forever. The ring in the ear was that to let people know that he wasn't a slave by force, but he was a slave by choice. So he goes on and he says, and if a man sells his daughter to, a, to be a maidservant, she shall not go out as the manservants do. If she does not please her master, who is betrothed to her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall also have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has dealt deceitfully with her. What you see here is when you sell yourself as a slave, or somebody, as an example, as a parent is involved in a betrothed wedding, there were laws to protect that person. It isn't, oh, this is my slave now, and I can do whatever I want to with them. It's very clear that in that six-year period of time, they were extremely regulated what they could do. 
Now, when you start, and as we read on here, you're going to begin to see a lot more of the mindset of God's viewpoint of justice. We all in our country today have a very skewed view of justice in our, in our society. We see people who are mass murderers that are let off on some kind of a technicality. We see people that perhaps committed a very small crime or a crime that was made up that really wasn't a crime due time. We see a lot of injustices in our, so to speak, justice system. These things that we're reading here is God's justice system. And to begin to get the viewpoint of God. Now, as we'll read on here in just a little bit, the murders defile the land. And what does that mean exactly? There's a lot of defilement that goes on when murder takes place. First of all, you've robbed an individual of their life. Second of all, you've approved of it in cultural society. Chicago right now is the murder capital of the world. More people are slaughtered every weekend in that one city than many states combined. The land is defiled. And when land is defiled, what comes out is always going to be a corrupt view of what righteousness is. So as we look at this here, he's talking about that if he's, his daughter's betrothed and he treats her poorly, then she can go. And if she does not please her master, who is betrothed her to himself, he shall, he shall let uh, her be redeemed he shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people since he's dealt deceitfully with her. And he has betrothed her to his son. He shall deal with her accordingly to the custom of daughters. If he takes another wife, he has not diminished her food or clothing or her marriage rights. And if he does not do these things, these the, do these three for her, then she shall go free without paying money. In other words, he does, she doesn't have to put up a, 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 the, the money that originally was paid. If the guy flakes out, you're free to go. That's what he's saying here. He who strikes another man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. But if he, does, if, but if he did not lie in wait... But God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. If the man acts with, with, with a premonition against his neighbor to kill him with guile, you shall take him from my altar and he may die. Now let me explain this real quick. There's a difference between manslaughter or murder and manslaughter or involuntary manslaughter. If you lie in wait to get somebody, the Bible says you need to die. No way around it. Premeditated murder. And that's why the Bible says bring every thought captive to the mind of Christ. Because if we don't, we can act, even as Christians, on bad juju. I don't know if that's a real word, but you know what I mean. We get a weird unction. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. I'm going to get him. And so I'm just going to wait outside his house here. You know, well, see, that's what it's talking about. Now, on the other hand, if you kill somebody, but there was no uh, um, pre-motivated anger to kill him, that's different. It's still manslaughter. And that person then in those days could go to the altar, hold on to the horns of the altar, and they could not take him from that until he had a fair trial. And eventually, it went from that to actually what's called sanctuary cities. Have you heard that lately in your vernacular of our today? Well, what it was is that it was never meant the way our sanctuary cities in America are being set up 
for illegal people, the, the idea of a sanctuary city was that if you by accident killed somebody, uh, you would go flee to one of these cities and you could be there without the family members coming and getting you and killing you. You were protected there until the trial and all those things went down. Now, the horns of the altar were where they had they have these horns that were there, and they actually would tie the sacrifice, the animal to be sacrificed there while it was being sacrificed, they would tie it. So it's interesting, the person that runs, grabs onto, is in a way, kind of like a sacrifice, he's holding onto the horns of the altar for protection. But God says this, notice he says here, he said, um, if he comes out to kill him with guile, you shall take him from the horns of the altar, literally, and kill him anyway. In other words, God says, I take murder really seriously. I think it's really important because, again, today it seems like we don't. If you've noticed that, it seems like the whole country, there's really no repercussions for any wrongdoing, if you've noticed that. So here he says, he goes on, And he says, and he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Um, And this word strikes means to literally try to kill them. It isn't like you smack somebody or whatever. This is where you actually try to strike your parents to kill them. That person will be put to death. He goes on, he who kidnaps a man and sells him or is found in his hand, surely he will be put to death. Why? Because God says, you are stealing his life. Now, maybe you didn't kill him, but you've stole him to sell him into slavery. And by the way, if you've been coming to this church any length of time, if we go back a little bit, we remember Joseph's brothers. Remember them? They were exceedingly jealous of him. And we remember they wanted to kill him. And so what they did is they took him and they sold him into a, to a bunch of Midianites who are on their way down to Egypt and they sold their brother into slavery. By law, by God's law, all the brothers except for Benjamin, who was not part of it, all of them would have been executed. Now, why do, why do I bring that up? Why weren't they executed? And by the way, I believe this is one of the reasons why when, when uh, Joseph did not reveal himself, when they came begging for food, I believe their conscience really bothered him because the Bible says that God has wrote his law on the hearts of men. Even ungodly men know it's wrong to kill somebody else. And so I believe this probably bothered them for many, many years. And now when he's brought in there and he, and Joseph doesn't reveal himself, he's going to, but he didn't at the time. And he begins to really roast him. Well, these things have happened to us because of what we did to Joseph years ago. I mean, and that guilty conscience comes back up. You know, what's really weird. Guilty consciences cause weird behavior. Have you ever noticed that in your own life? Have you ever noticed that if you lie, and you got a guilty conscience and somebody asks you, then you got to tell another lie to cover that lie, to cover another lie, and pretty soon the whole thing's a scam. Well, it causes weird things. And, and I, I've talked to people. I, I, years ago, I, I, I you know, used to do a lot of street witnessing and, and things like that. And I remember talking to people and they'd say, I go, well, what did you do this weekend? Well, we went out clubbing. And I said, oh, How did that work out for you? And I remember this one girl, she said, well, all I can tell you is this. When I came home, I felt so dirty. I just got in the shower and tried to take a long shower to wash the feeling off. And it won't go away. That's true, friends. It won't go away. Because it's called Dirty Heavy Soul. 21 Pilots wrote a song about that. We play it on the effect. Dirty, heavy soul. I really believe that. 
And a dirty, heavy soul cannot be psychedelicized away. Well, let me explain that. You can go to AA, you can go to psychiatrists, you can go to your friends, you can get drunk, you can get loaded, you can do all the things trying to get rid of a heavy, dirty soul. Why is that? Because it's become part of you. You know, one of the things the Bible endeavors to bring across to us, what you do is what you become. Have you noticed that? If you hang out with a bunch of drug addicts, What's the chances of you ending up as one? Pretty good. You're known by the company you keep. And the thing is, when we do things, those things become part of us, like Cleons. They attach themselves to us. And we try to brush it off. And we can't. It has become part of us. Until we come to Christ. Old things pass away, behold, all things become new. And for the first time, your soul, your mind, your body, your spirit gets that everlasting Holy Spirit shower that washes that junk off. It feels so good. It does. Oh, how happy is the man whose sins are forgiven, the Bible says. So as we look at this, a person that sells somebody in slavery or somebody that's caught with the individual or caught with the money. Uh, some people believe that's more or less what it's talking about. Caught with it in their hand, the money of selling the person into slavery. They shall be put to death. He says, um, he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Now, early we remember, if we go back to verse 15, he who strikes his father or mother, now we find he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. What that curses means, I want my parents dead. Uh, that'd get you the death sentence in those days. And here's why. Because you see, if we don't respect the people that have went on before us, they're not going to respect us. Have you heard the term euthanasia lately? And I'm not talking about a YWAM team going to Europe or uh, uh, euthanasia. Killing old people. Do not resuscitate has been handed down by the siblings on their parents. This is what I'm talking about. And when we lose that respect, people will lose their respect for us down the road. And so he who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. If a man contends with each other and one strikes the other with a stone, maybe a semi-automatic stone, I don't know, or with his fist, he does, does not die but is confined to his bed. If he rises and walks about, outside with his staff, then he who struck him <clears throat> shall be acquitted. He shall only pay for the loss of his time and shall provide for him, though he be uh, thoroughly healed. So this was one of the laws of reciprocity, or maybe I should say uh, uh, paying somebody back. If you decap or hurt somebody, uh, you would then have to pay for their their time off work. And we, our laws are, a lot of our laws today were originally based on these laws. Um, so he goes on. Um, verse 20. Uh, if a man beats his servants or his maidservants with a rod so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished, for he is his property. This is weird. Did you catch that? If you beat your servant and he dies, you're going to be punished. If he lives a couple of days, then you won't be punished because he's his property. You say, well, what is the mentality behind that? I believe one of the mentalities behind this is to not get sold as a slave. 
You see, that would be motivation. I'd read this and go, Mom, Dad, I never want to let that happen to me. I want to be very circumspect when I make my judgments that I don't end up having to auction myself off someday. You see, the, the problem is there's no deterrent today for crime. Have you noticed that? People, I read about some guy, illegal person, shot a girl on San Francisco out in the harbor. She died right there. They caught the guy. Nothing happened to the guy. Nothing. And so people go, what's the deterrent for crime? And yet you'll find some minor crime. They'll be in jail for 10 years. And you go, where is the sanity in this? This is what the Bible is talking about here. There has to be repercussions for serious crime. And so he says, these are the things. Also, these things are to motivate us to not find ourselves being sold as a slave. If the man, if, if men fight, I guess that happens. If men fight and hurt a woman, now this would be um, uh, by accident, you find two guys duking it out, comes over, hey, you stole my water buffalo, hey, well, that's all right, I'm going to keep the water buffalo, no, you're not, and they get in a fight, and they're throwing things at each other, and they hit the woman that's there, and she's pregnant. This is what this is talking about. With child, so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no lasting harm follows, he shall surely be punished according as the woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judge determines. But if any lasting harm follows, then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Why is that in here? Two things. Number one, you don't go overboard on the punishment. In other words, what they did to you, you have a right to do to them. Now, that didn't mean you had to do it. But that meant you could only go so far in the punishment. And sometimes we see today incredible punishments. This past week in Syria, they executed, I forget, 25 people for lighting some wildfires. And a lot of the civil rights groups in America were appalled by it. But you see, there's no laws in Syria to prevent that. It was not eye for eye or tooth for tooth. It was a wildfire kill you. So the point is, what I'm saying is that there needs to be a balance to laws. They say, Mike, why are you telling us all this? Because someday you're going to be in Jesus Christ's lawful administration here on this earth, and you better know what it's like to do that. Now, again, I want to just believe we're all in heaven sitting around on a big fluffy cloud eating angel food cake. But the thing is, the Bible doesn't say that's what we're going to be doing. And for a thousand years, we will rule and reign with him. And this gives us a pretty good idea of the law set and the mindset that God has for us to execute on this planet. In other words, we will be serving our king, not only in heaven, on this earth, but throughout all of eternity. I think that's good to know. So he says... We can't go overboard on the punishment. If he knocks out a servant's tooth or a maidservant's tooth. Now, this goes back to the six-year slave. Let's go back to that very quickly. If he knocks out a servant's tooth or a maidservant's tooth, um, excuse me, verse 26, if he strikes the eye of his servant or the eye of his manservant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth, the same thing. He gets to go free. You've got a servant, six years, you get in a scuffle with him, you knock his tooth out. Well, that you can't say, oh, it's his property, he can do what he wants. No, nope. he gets to go free by law. You, 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 you wronged him, and so therefore you have to let him go. Now, these are some couple of weird things here. 
He says, if an ox gourds a man or a woman to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. So if you've got one bad dude, you got a bad ox, and he goes out and he gourds somebody. Now remember, oxen, the reason why I believe the Bible uses the word oxen here, because that was the only animal really the people of Israel had that could do this to a human being. Maybe with the exception of a mule getting, or donkey getting kicked in the head or something, I don't know. But, but this was the only real animal that could kill somebody. And he does it, and they take the animal out and kill it, and he's acquitted. Okay. But if the ox tended to thrust with its horns in times past and has been made known to his owner and he's not kept it confined so that it killed a man or a woman, the ox will be stoned and its owner shall also be put to death. Willful negligence. You've got a bad ox who has been known to kill people, and because you didn't contain it, not only is the ox going to die, you're going to die too. If there be, if, if there is imposed on him the sum of money he shall pay to redeem his life, whatever is imposed on him. So he can buy his life back from the person who got gored or his family. Where it has been gored uh, a son or gored a daughter, according to the judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox uh, gores a maidservant or a manservant, he shall give uh, to their master 30 shekels of silver uh, and the ox shall be stoned. It's interesting there that Jesus was um, wounded for us for 30 pieces of silver. And if a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make it good, and he shall give money to the owner, but, he, uh, but the dead beast will be his. If another man, ox, hurts another so that it dies, they shall set, they, excuse me, they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it and the dead ox they will also divide. Now, by the way, just real quickly, the reason why these rules are strong on oxen is this. If you are Hebrew, you just came out of, uh, you're on your way to the promised land and you were going to farm the ox was what pulled the plow. And if something happened to your ox, your family could starve to death. You, you would go broke. And so that's why there was governance concerning oxen and all these things, because that was your livelihood, or you would end up as a slave on the auction block because you went into bankruptcy because you couldn't pay, you couldn't feed your family. So that's why there was these laws that were written the way they are. He goes on and says, if the ox hurts another so that it dies, they shall then set the live ox and divide the money from it, and the dead ox they shall also divide. Or if it is known that the ox tended to thrust at times past, the owner has not kept it confined, he shall surely pay for the ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his own. Very clearly, they're saying here, take care of what you got. Don't get into debt. Don't allow yourself to be sold as a slave. Don't sell anybody as a slave. Don't curse your mom. Don't curse your dad. You're going to do well in life. You see, he put these laws in because God is not a God of lawlessness, but he's a God that says, hey, this is the way man, old sin nature, needs to be dealt with. Now, friends, again, during the millennial reign of Christ, even though we're in a perfect environment, perfect world, all those things, 
There is still a world populated with unregenerated people. Yes, Satan is locked up, but people are still people. And there's where the problem comes from, because people need to be born again. Perhaps today, maybe you have a dirty, heavy soul. Maybe there's some things not right deep down inside, and you know that. And there's a song years ago written by Randy Stonehill called Keep Me Running from the Sins I Can't Erase. You know, it's really interesting what people will run to to try to run away from what they are. And this morning, if you're not born again, I want to invite you to come into Jesus. Let him give you that shower for your soul that you need. Let him burn you anew. His blood is what's in the shower. Only sin is washed away by God's blood, by Jesus' blood shed for you. This morning, he took your place. He became your bondservant by choice because he loved you to take away your sins. I pray this morning you understand how important these issues are. Not only for you as a Christian in the days to come, but also that we understand why Jesus, because he loved us, became that bondservant. We needed somebody to help us. We couldn't do it ourselves. So this morning, if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to come into the kingdom of God. The Bible says, if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means simply this. God, I'm sick of the way I've lived. I want a new life. And God says, you got it. If you want that this morning, we're going to pray. And you can ask Jesus to come in your life, cleanse your heart, have a brand new life. And now we live for him. And the Bible says he adopts us as his children. No more, oh God, I hope you're out there somewhere. It's we go, daddy. Let the Lord bless you that way this morning. Let's pray. If you need to get right with God, repeat this in your heart. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I need to be washed clean. So forgive me of the things I've done wrong. And I repent of the foolish way that I have lived. To hide from my sins, to find fulfillment in life, I'm sorry. I ask you now to fill me with your Holy Spirit. As I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood washed away my sins. And he rose from the dead to give me life every day. So write my name in your book of life. 